Chapter Twenty Eight of Annie Kilburn, a novel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Allison. Annie Kilburn, a novel by William Dean Howells. Chapter Twenty Eight. They went away together, leaving her to her despair, which had passed into a sort of torpor by the following night, when Dr. Morrell came again, out of what she knew must be mere humanity. He could not respect her any longer. He told her, as if for her comfort, that Putney had gone to the depot to meet Mr. Peck, who was expected back in the eight o'clock train, and was to labour with him all night long if necessary to get him to change or at least postpone his purpose. The feeling in his favour was growing. Putney hoped to put it so strongly to him as a proof of duty that he could not resist it. Annie listened comfortlessly. Whatever happened, nothing could take away the shame of her weakness now. She even wished feebly, vaguely, that she might be forced to keep her word. A sound of running on the gravel walk outside, and a sharp pull at the doorbell, seemed to jerk them both to their feet. Someone stepped into the hall, panting, and the face of William Saver showed itself at the door of the room where they stood. "'Doc! Dr. Morrell! Come! Come quick! There's been an accident! At the depot! Mr. Peck!' He panted out the story, and Annie saw rather than heard how the minister tried to cross the track from his train, where it had halted short of the station, and the flying express from the other quarter caught him from his feet and dropped the bleeding fragment that still held his life against the rail a hundred yards away, and then kept on in brute ignorance into the night. "'Where is he? Where have you got him?' the doctor demanded of Saver. "'At my house!' The doctor ran out of the house, and she heard his buggy whirl away, followed by the fainter sound of Saver's feet as he followed running, after he had stopped to repeat his story to the Boltons. Annie turned to the farmer. "'Mr. Bolton, get the carryall. I must go.' "'And me too,' said his wife. "'Oh, no, Pauline, I guess you'd better stay. I guess it'll all come out right in the end,' Bolton began. "'I guess William has exaggerated some, maybe. Any rate, who's going to look after the little girl if you come?' "'I am,' Mrs. Bolton snapped back. "'She's going with me.' "'Of course she is. Be quick, Mr. Bolton,' Annie called from the stairs, where she had already mounted half-way. She caught up the child, limp with sleep, from its crib, and began to dress it. Idella cried, and fought away the hands that tormented her, and made herself now very stiff and now very lax. But Annie and Mrs. Bolton together prevailed against her, and she was dressed, and had fallen asleep again in her clothes while the women were putting on their hats and sacks, and Bolton was driving up to the door with the carryall. "'Why, I can see,' he said, when he got out to help them in, "'just how William's got his idea about it. "'His wife's an excitable kind of woman, "'and she sent him off lickety-split after the doctor "'without looking to see what the matter was. "'There hain't never been nobody hurt at our depot, "'and it don't stand a reason. "'Oliver Bolton, will you hush that noise?' shrieked his wife. "'If the world was burning up, you'd say it was nothing but a chimney on fire somewhere.' "'Well, well, Pauline, have it your way, have it your own way,' said Bolton. "'I ain't saying but what there's something in women's story. "'But, you see, he's exaggerated. Get up.' "'Well, do hurry, and do be still,' said his wife. "'Yes, yes, it's all right, Pauline, all right. "'Soon's I'm out the lane, you'll see I'll drive fast enough.' Mrs. Bolton kept a grim silence, against which her husband's babble of optimism played like heat-lightning on a night sky. 
Idella woke with a rush of cold air, and in the dark and strangeness began to cry, and wailed heartbreakingly between her fits of louder sobbing, and then fell asleep again before they reached the house where her father lay dying. They had put him in the best bed in Mrs. Saver's little guest-room, and when Annie entered the minister was apologizing to her for spoiling it. "'Now don't you say one word, Mr. Peck,' she answered him. "'It's all right. I rather see you layin' there. Just you be that plenty of folks that—' She stopped for want of an apt comparison, and at sight of Annie she said, as if he were a child whose mind was wandering, "'Well, I declare, if it ain't Miss Kilburn come to see you, Mr. Peck, and Miss Bolton, well the land!' Mrs. Saver came and shook hands with him, and in her character of hostess urged them forward from the door where they had halted. "'Want to see Mr. Peck? Well, he's real comfortable now, ain't he, Dr. Morrell? We got him all fixed up nicely, and he ain't in a bit of pain.' "'It's his spine that's hurt, so he don't feel nothing. "'But he's just as clear in his mind as what you or I be. "'Ain't he, doctor?' "'He's not suffering,' said Dr. Morrell, "'to which Annie's eye wandered from Mrs. Saver, "'and there was something in his manner "'that made her think the minister was not badly hurt. "'She went forward with Mr. and Mrs. Bolton, "'and after they had both taken the limp hand "'that lay outside the covering, she touched it too. "'It returned no pressure.' but his large, wan eyes looked at her with such gentle dignity and intelligence that she began to frame in her mind an excuse for what seemed almost an intrusion. "'We were afraid you were hurt badly, and we thought—we thought you might like to see Adela, and so—so we came. She's in the next room.' "'Thank you,' said the minister. "'I presume that I am dying. The doctor tells me I have but a few hours to live.' Mrs. Saver protested. "'Oh, I guess you ain't a-going to die this time, Mr. Peck.' Annie looked from Dr. Morrell to Putney, who stood with him on the other side of the bed, and experienced a shock from their gravity, without yet being able to accept the fact it implied. "'There's plenty of folks,' continued Mrs. Saver, "'hurt worse than what you, that's alive to-day, and as well as ever they was.' Bolton seized his chance. "'It's just what I said to Paulini, coming along. "'You'll see,' said I, "'Mr. Peck be out as spry as any of us before a great while.' "'That's the way I felt about it from the start.' "'All you got to do is keep up courage,' said Mrs. Saver. "'That's so. That's half the battle,' said Bolton. There were numbers of people in the room, and at the door of the next. Annie saw Colonel Marvin and Jack Wilmington. She heard afterwards that he was going to take the same train to Boston with Mr. Peck, and had helped to bring him to the Saver's house. The stationmaster was there, and some other railroad employees.' The doctor leaned across the bed and lifted slightly the arm that lay there, taking the wrist between his thumb and finger. "'I think we'd better let Mr. Peck rest a little,' he said to the company generally. "'We're not doing him any good.' The people began to go. Some of them said, "'Well, good-night,' as if they would meet again in the morning. They made all the pretense that it was a slight matter, and treated the wounded man as if he were a child." He did not humour the pretense, but said good-bye in return for their good-night with a quiet patience. Mrs. Saver hastened after her retreating guests. "'I ain't a-goin' to let you go without a sup of coffee,' she said. "'I want you should all stay and get some, and I don't believe but what a little of it would do Mr. Peck good.' The surface of her lugubrious nature was broken up, and whatever was kindly and cheerful in its depths floated to the top. She was almost gay in the demand which the calamity had made upon her. Annie knew that she must have seen and helped to soothe the horror of mutilation which she could not even let her fancy figure, 
and she followed her foolish bustle and chatter with respectful awe. "'Rebecca'll have it right off the stove in half a minute now,' Mrs. Saver concluded, and from a further room came the cheerful click of cups, and then a wandering whiff of the coffee, life in its vulgar kindliness touched and made friends with death, claiming it a part of nature, too. The night at Mrs. Munger's came back to Annie from the immeasurable remoteness into which all the past had lapsed. She looked up at Dr. Morell across the bed. "'Would you like to speak with Mr. Peck?' he asked officially. "'Better do it now,' he said, with one of his short nods. Putney came and set her a chair. She would have liked to fall on her knees beside the bed, but she took the chair and drew the minister's hand into hers, stretching her arm above his head on the pillow. He lay like some poor little wounded boy, like Putney's Winthrop. The mother that is in every woman's heart gushed out of hers in pity upon him, mixed with filial reverence. She had thought that she should confess her baseness to him and ask his forgiveness, and offer to fulfill with the people he had chosen for the guardians of his child that interrupted the purpose of his. But in the presence of death, so august, so simple, all the concerns of life seemed trivial, and she found herself without words. She sobbed over the poor hand she held. He turned his eyes upon her and tried to speak, but his lips only let out a moaning, shuddering sound, inarticulate of all that she hoped or feared he might prophesy to shape her future. Life alone has any message for life, but from the beginning of time it has put its ear to the cold lips that must forever remain dumb. End of chapter 28 Recording by Lynn Allison